Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have Marina Carr. Marina Carr is one of Ireland's most treasured playwrights. You'll probably know her best from her plays by the bog of Cats, Woman and Scarecrow, Portia Coughlin, even the Mai. She's also done countless adaptations uh, in amazing spaces like the Abbey and all around the world, really. She is an absolute treasure and we were delighted to have her on the podcast. Marina, if you're listening, thank you so much for taking the time to do it. Guys, other than that, uh, I'm currently in rehearsal for The Rivals in Smock Alley. We open July 31st until September 2nd get in for that and I'm also delighted to announce that I'm doing a show in the Dublin Fringe Festival called Fierce Notions which opens on September the 11th hopefully not a bad omen uh, until September the 18th so please check us out there too guys other than that let's get into Marina Carr playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. Let's just jump right into it. Um, Marina Carr, are you ready to play Personality Bingo? I certainly am. Okay, let's do it. So I'll just do a quick explainer before we get stuck mm. in. So I have 60 balls in here, 60 questions in front of me. I'm going to put 60 minutes on the clock. Uh, and then I have a sheet with five numbers on it right now. Would you do me a favour and read out the five numbers that we have randomly selected for you? So 18, 28, 32, 46 and 57. Nice. And will you do me a favour and pick a number between 1 and 60 to add to that? Do I tell you the number? You can tell me the number. 30. 30? Yeah. Any reason you're going for 30? Because it's halfway between 1 and 60. Nice. There's, there's logic. <laughs> very predictable. There's method to the madness. Yeah, you can scribble that in there. Um, right, very cool. Well, we just get stuck in, so. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, first number right out the gate. We have number 15. Do you have that on your sheet? No, okay, I don't. No let's just get stuck into the questions. Number 15. What are your memories of 9-11? Oh my God. I really did jump right in. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was in San Jose. God, it was mad. I was in San Jose. They were doing Bog of Cats, Holly Hunter um, in the San Jose Repertory Theatre. And I had two very small infants at the time and I, they were travelling with me. Mm. So uh, we were stranded in San Jose for an extra week because all the flights were grounded. Nobody could go anywhere. So my memory of 9-11, apart from the terrible grief in the country and people flocking to the theatre... Um, to see the play because they, they were so upset mm. um, my abiding memory of uh, uh, 9-11 is with my two little sons they were very small at the time in the the swimming pool on the roof of the Hilton Hotel in San Jose wow. <laughs> swimming in their little nappies and yeah. uh, just hanging out by the pool wow. yeah that was that was the memory and then the, the the silence in the skies but everybody spoke about that how quiet the skies were there were no planes of course Do you know usually they're in any you know part of the world you know it's unusual not to see a plane somewhere trailing across the sky it was mm. very quiet um, and how you experience like flying home then like in the aftermath because it was a relief to get home of course um, because they were so small and uh, we were waiting for flight and we they were very good to us and all of that. The theatre and looked after us very well. But there was that. And then I had a, my husband's brother lived in San Francisco and he came down and took us back to his house for a few days. But there was that sense of, oh God, it was 
it was good to get home. Mm. And my husband, I know, was delighted to see his, yeah. his children. Yeah, and and myself, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and did they were ever were there any performances of the play cancelled or anything like no, that? No, everything went on. Everything went on. Yeah, yeah. And I remember hearing that at the time, like even in New York, that was it. Who was the mayor at the time? Was it Bloombergers? And it was the other fellow, the Italian guy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Or was it? No, I don't know. I, think I don't know, but I just remember them being yeah. really insistent that like Broadway kept going mm. through it all because people needed, yeah, you know, that, that, that they wanted that to be the example of like... The well, they needed to meet, I think, and theatre is wonderful for that, for the collective, you know, you, you share or you experience something together. I suppose that's the, one of the great uh, mysterious and magical things about the theatre, that it's live and you're there in a big crowd watching it. Yeah. Hopefully you're in a big crowd or a small crowd, but yeah. it's it's with others. Mm. Um, and I think it was it's it's particularly important at times of uh, trauma or when terrible things happen. Yeah. Have Have you ever written for film or TV? Uh, no, I haven't. Mm. Well, I've written yeah, I've written bits of films, um, yeah. and a bit of it got made. But uh, um, I'd love to do film, but I can't do the treatments or the the meetings. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do the endless meetings. Yeah. Um, but I love film. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I was, it, it's funny. I was only asking because I was listening to a different podcast recently, yeah. and it was a film. A f- no, do you know it was Colin Tobin, um, novelist. Oh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, and he was talking about his experience. He had a play. I can't think of the name of it, but it, it was on Broadway anyway for like. A, oh, a, the Testament of Mary. Was that's it? it exactly. Yeah. yeah, and he was talking about how frustrating he found theater for those same reasons we were listening as like finding like film or TV frustrating with all the meetings he found that like yeah. theatres were so difficult I think he was basically in, uh, from a novelist perspective it was quite easy he writes a novel and goes to his production house and they produce yeah, it yeah 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 it is there's so many there's so many people involved in theatre it's getting increasingly difficult because there's so many middle people mm. um so all of that has to be navigated so you do I mean it's not enough to write the play anymore you have to uh, you know writers are are well, some people, some writers are gregarious, but they're not exactly, I suppose, the most well-adjusted people in the world. But it's like your your personal skills are um, are on display, and you're you're judged on them sometimes more so than the play, which I find really bizarre. And what I find increasingly difficult is um, it's getting terribly, terribly difficult to get managements to actually read your play. Right. Yeah. So the talk, the talk, it's a bit like your pitching. It's like movies. It's like any nightmare Hollywood movie scenario. You're pitching ideas, and um, the good old fashioned way where you send in the script and was read and was either accepted or rejected. That's not the case now. Mm. So very often your idea is rejected uh, before you've even written the thing, or it's not what they want, and it seems like they want to be more invested and it's changing. And I know there's an argument that the writer had it too good for too long, especially in Ireland, because there's, there does seem to be like residual respect for for the writer, although that's gradually, I think, um, going. Mm. But, uh, um, and, and I, I get their point because it is, it is a collaborative art, but you see so much stuff out there now that you know it's it's just the, the wonderful production values wonderful acting wonderful lighting wonderful direction but there's no script yeah it's like where is your script where's the play yeah and um and I know I'm a writer so I'm defending what I do but um I do I, I do think you need a decent script and then everything can just 
flow from that. I'm not saying it's the be all and the end all, but if it's if that structure isn't there, mm-hmm. if that the language isn't right, if the characterization isn't right, if the pacing isn't right, if the storytelling isn't right, um, <coughs> it's so obvious, mm-hmm. so obvious that this is made up or this is devised or this is what this is what it is, and and that is one type of theatre and that's fine, but it's not my type of theatre. Mm. And do you have um, a background in in acting? Like, did you ever act growing up, or as did we had our own little theatre in the shed at home? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we used to put on our own plays and uh, all of that. And then I did a little bit of acting in drama soccer when I was in UCD. Okay. I wasn't very good. Um, I was a bit too nervous uh, yeah. to to be good. I was a bit too self conscious. Um, so uh, yeah, so I have a bit of experience of it. I was just going to ask because um, we were talking just off mic uh, like I'm an actor and a writer and it's mm. interesting sometimes most of the work that I like I, I, uh, I write for myself kind of thing yeah. but the work that I do is as an actor so it's someone else's script and it is such an interesting process of when you're reading someone else's lines especially, especially as someone who does write and I was just curious as to like do you like I don't know sometimes I'm interested in writers who have never acted and like just their mm, understanding of what it's like to say someone else's lines do you know what I mean mm. do you think that that time when you're acting gave you uh, do you think it affected how you write now I suppose um, it certainly gave me a sense and great respect for actors and what they what they do is right. incredible in a way we all hide behind the actors finally the actors to get up there and do it yeah um, I think actors are just incredible people and just wonderful people to be around. I mean, their knowledge is so eclectic, particularly your seasoned actor because they've had so much experience. <clears throat> They'll always amaze you with the things they know, mm. you know, as research for all the different roles they've played. And they're usually brilliantly read because they'll be researching around the parts they're playing or the period they're playing and all of that. Um, so they're fascinating people to be around. And they have, they have the really good ones they have... Um, there's something really, really extraordinary about them. You know, that presence. Mm. Uh, you know it when you see it. Mm. Um, and, and, and the craft involved. So I have huge, absolutely huge admiration and respect for actors. And I suppose what I'm trying to defend in a way, and I don't want to be defensive or anything, but is the, um, the playwright, if he or she is any good, will when they're writing the play, they will act out all the parts. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. You're all the characters. So in a way you're you're it's kind of ventriloquism um and you're channeling. Do you know? Mm-hmm. If at its best you're channeling. Of course there's lots of time when you're just shoving and breaking rocks and pushing it and trying to figure out what it is. But at its best, you are a bit of a ventriloquist and a bit of a channel through which the language and the characters speak and trying to get it down. So I suppose I'm uh, I suppose what I'm trying to do is defend playwriting as a craft yeah, rather yeah. than um, like and like any craft it has to be learned and you spend a long long apprenticeship um, writing for the theatre mm-hmm. um, and many plays and, and many times falling flat in your face and many experiences good and bad um, as any actor will tell you on the stage from you know a young actor just out of training to an actor who's, let's say who's been doing it for 30, 40 years mm-hmm. you know so you're talking about that kind of stuff that you learn and that you know and it's kind of a it's a shorthand you know you instinctively know at a certain point what is going to 
work and what is not going to work on stage. Mm. You know, as as a playwright, if you have the experience and you've done, you've put in the work and done the craft and written all the plays, and and seen them through to production and learnt that way as well like stuff you thought that mightn't work on the page and actors just soar with it or the opposite stuff you think is <coughs> great and it's really going to work it just falls flat mm-hmm. um, so, <coughs> so there's all of that but um, yeah have you do you have a, what's the best way for you to catch when that's going to happen like do you before you put in your final draft to the director and say now it's yours do you do a have a read through process with people where you can hear it out loud and kind of hear how it's actualized uh, yeah more recently that is the case usually <coughs> well theatre management usually insist on read throughs now and right. just to test the script I suppose because finances are it's tough it's tough financially out there in the theatre world and the competition is, is quite severe so uh, and it, productions are expensive so they want to be sure um, and, and that has advantages and disadvantages. The disadvantage, I'm sure you're well aware, is that a lot of uh, writers, young writers particularly, get workshop to death, so they get readings and workshops, but they never get a production. <coughs> and it's not the same getting a workshop or reading a thing. It's not the same as investing your three, four, five weeks and rehearsing it and then, you know, mining the script for what's there. Um, because some scripts don't reveal themselves, you know, it's quite somewhere. You think of Ibsen, you think of O'Neill, you think of a lot of Strindberg, mm. you know, a lot of shakes where they're difficult and they have to be cracked and they need a lot of time and uh, a lot of uh, kind of, you know, praying and magic and mystery and, and then what happens on stage between different actors and what that reveals, you know, and all of this, it's all that stuff that has to be taken care of. Um, and if you only get a workshop or reading, then it's kind of, you know, you're kind of strangled at birth. Mm. And that's very frustrating for writers. And I, I really do feel for the young writers coming up now because um, I came up in the old the old style. Literally, you wrote your play, you sent it in and they got a letter from the Abbey to say, yeah, they're putting it on. Or, no, they weren't. Mm. Um, and people committed. But there was more trust, I think, and more, uh, there was more danger and there was more risk taking. Uh, they talk about risk taking now, but they don't really. Yeah. It's not really. It's not. And I understand why the stakes are high. It's money. It's bums on seats. It's all of that. But uh, I think there still has to be that. If if we're going to bring new writers through, I mean, new writers of quality and note, and and give them the experience they need to become really accomplished writers, that we have to take risks on them. Do you know that that has to be artistic policy that risks are taken on new plays and done and not just in plays like the fringe, but I mean in in the bigger institutions like in the Abbey and the Gate and Druid and all these places. Mm. Um Rough Magic are very good for that. Druid do some of that. The Abbey are good for that. Um uh, and the gate, I think they're they're going to program new work as well. I think they're getting their studio and all of that yeah, going. So, so hopefully, all of that will, um, you know, that'll come back. Mm. So I think things go, you know, Elliot. Nothing happens with the wheel turn. So I think we're coming out of a particularly bad cycle in Irish theatre right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Or one hopes we are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know how I dragged you there after asking about 9-11. Yeah. No idea. (laughs) Right. Theater. Will we go again? Yeah, why not? Uh, Here we go. Number 34. Do you have that one? No, I don't have number 34. No worries. This is the most relaxed I've ever been speaking. I'm normally quite like, I have... You're very calming energy. Oh, am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Number 34. Um, Question is... 
Tell us about a moment in your life that you would describe as a close call. Um, God, maybe I've been very lucky. Close call. Hmm. No, my there. Yeah, there's one or two, but I'm not going to tell you. That's all right. Is that all right? That's fine. Yeah, it's it's a new question. We, we have to have a few secrets. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> also, um, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, uh, that's a new question. It's so funny. I had like a big list of questions and then I like yeah. had, so this, th- this is probably the 27th, 28th when we recorded mm. and um, it's like, it's so funny because sometimes the questions like don't work and they're not good, yeah. but they'll bring you to talking about yeah, something yeah, interesting yeah, like yeah. 911 to like Irish <laughs> theatre or whatever or um yeah, it, 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 let me ask you this then. Like, as a writer, like, do you find it... It's a kind of annoying question, potentially, but, like, how much of life seeps through writing or is it, like, feelings that you live through? I suppose there's that, like, that phrase, like, you write what you're, you know. Yeah. What, 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 when I say that, like, what's your response? My response to that is, uh, first of all, it's... Uh, it's an act of creation. And secondly, it's impossible to, exp- to really, it's impossible to escape the prison of the self. Mm. It is through your prism and your prison that you write. Um, but having said that, there's wonderful freedom in creating characters who are not remotely like you or not remotely like anyone you know. Uh, they may have a couple of um, characteristics of features of people you know, but by the time you get to your fourth draft, everything has changed so, so much. Mm. Um, I think it's a, it's a mistake a lot of people make in their reading or they tending to equate the writer with the work. Um, and that that's very unsatisfying because it reduces everything to autobiography. Mm. And I know this is the age of autobiography and the age of me, myself, I, and, you know, the Instagram, the Snapchat, and it's all, we're all about ourselves. I don't think we've, have we ever been as selfish and self-obsessed as we are with our image and uh, constant tracking of, um, I mean, this stuff, it's kind of scary, you know, that my daughter was showing me last night on uh, Snapchat, you can now track all your friends on Snapchat where they are and she showed me the map of the world and she's here and she's here, oh, she's in Greece and she's so, so, they're all, and you can actually say, well, can you get the street where they are? I don't know, maybe you can. It's just I find that really, do you know, do you want people to know where you are all the time? Um, you know, the idea of, of privacy and uh, <coughs> and how that relates to your writing, the idea that everything must be based on reality. Mm. Um, and I find that very, it's a very limited way of, of uh, looking at a play or experiencing a play or a novel or a poem. Um, and I suppose it's trying to, discern between the uh, you know I think people get confused about the autobiographical eye and the creative eye mm. you know uh, so um, and I don't know why that is because that was not the case so there was a very clear demarcation until I'd say you know I don't know 20 30 years ago yeah. um, and uh, you know we're a nation obsessed with gossip and uh, you know pinning people down we're, we're a tribe we're a small tribe really we're an island nation 
and we love tracing each other. I mean, you know, that idea of tracing them back on you're from here and who you're related to and all of that. And we take great pleasure in that and locating where a person is from and who they're from, who their people are and what they did and what they're doing. Um, but that, I mean, while there's a lovely side to that, there's a, there's a real sense of connection and belonging in that, mm. um, that that bigger nations wouldn't have. But the downside of that is that everything you write then is, oh, that must be about mm. so-and-so, or that's about that, and that's about her, and that's about him. And, and you know, most of the time it's farthest from your mind. You know, I've had people say, you know, that's based. And I said, no, actually, it's not. You know, yeah. I, or I thought I made that up, you know. But, I mean, the other side of it is people say you can't make anything up, you know. Mm. everything you know everything you can possibly think of people have done or if they haven't they're about to mm. so there you know there's uh, the idea of uh, creations all you really have is your voice and your way of telling it there, there really are no new stories you know or mm. I don't think there are um, it's, it's your style it's your you know where you come in your point of entry your point of exit um, how you deal with time and how you shape it. These are all the things that um, I think are more and more becoming the concern of writers. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to freshen the material because the material is quite old. The earth is quite old mm-hmm. at this point. Um, <coughs> uh, so, yeah. And when it was interesting talking about that, the tribal nature of Ireland, I suppose. And yeah. Have you ever considered or have you ever moved away from that and I, I suppose I do mean like emigrating or taking a break uh, I lived in New York for a year after I graduated and uh, uh, taught there um, in a Catholic school and then I came back to do a master's which I never finished but um, lived abroad I mean now I'd love a year in New York or a couple of years in New York yeah. <laughs> I was 21 at the time I was a bit homesick I suppose uh, a bit young I was on my own Um by the end of the year, I just about gotten used to the city. Uh, now, you know, but then, you know, you get married, you have kids, their lives are here, your lives are here. Mm. Um, but I do, I love traveling. Um, I love, I love getting off the island, but I also love coming home. Mm. So um, I never thought I was, uh, you know, people say, oh, you're an Irish writer. And you think, what the hell does that mean? Do you have no idea what that means? So I suppose what it means is, that you are connected to the place or at the very least that your cadence is Irish you mm. know it's Hiberno-English we speak here so you're going to be writing in Hiberno-English your nuance is Irish and that will betray you anywhere you know um, we don't write like English people we don't write like Americans we don't like write like the French or the Italians we write like Irish people and we speak like Irish people mm. um, yeah yeah cool go again see there you go we have a little sleep yeah everyone to sleep <laughs> not at all no 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 quite the opposite I'd say yeah okay this one is number 18 do you have that by chance I do have 18 oh you have 18 take it off congratulations right do I get a prize no that's it you just get the satisfaction of taking right. it off. if you get another five of them you get I your prizes to ask me the question ask you the question I okay mean, of your choosing so it'll like, be a really mean question I'm not going to get the other yeah, yeah, five yeah it's quite lucrative um Question 18. Uh, how did you find out the truth about Santa? I can't remember. Really? Mm. But it was a thing in your house. You did believe for a while. Oh, God, yeah. And I, then I pretended like most kids for another year. Yeah. 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 When with your kids, has it, are any of them still of Santa? Uh, yeah, I've won for Santa. And like, what, 
is it, what's the, the process of like learning that your kid doesn't know like, from a parent's point of view is it kind of sad because you're like that loss of innocence yeah or is it, it is sad it is well <laughs> I think she's uh, well, I'm not sure but I think it's she's borderline she's 10 now so I think last year was probably the last year and I think she might have been faking it last year yeah, but yeah. I'm not 100% sure yeah it's a to test the <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 fair enough <clears throat> so yeah I found out with it via an episode of Friends oh like no the TV show yeah it was like a it must have been on during the day and um, they just say it and there was no oh, and it was they it was, weren't sued yeah I know for heartbreak <laughs> yeah little, were you devastated I was, I was what age were you I'd say I was 10 probably I was oh. kind of age potentially too young to be watching Friends potentially, yeah. but I think it was on during the day yeah yeah and I was sad and I, I do you know funny because I remember learning that the tooth fairy wasn't real because yeah. is that like what? what's the pr- function of that is that like a, a, a little prep preparation for the big one the tooth fairy do you know yeah and the Easter bunny and all Easter of that bunny, yeah <clears throat> um, yeah well I used to always forget to the tooth fairy in our house was very forgetful. <laughs> so I had a big uh, narrative about the tooth fairy. We had a tooth fairy in our house called Draphonophilus. Oh, wow. And she was the robber tooth fairy. So what she used to do, she used to go into children's houses. Um, this is what I told all my kids. She used to go into children's houses when they're asleep and she'd like hammer out their teeth. She had a golden hammer and she'd hammer out their teeth because she'd no teeth herself. And she'd stick them into her own mouth with sellotape and she'd never leave any money. So when they'd wake up and they'd have a tooth under the pillow, wake up in the morning and the tooth would generally be gone. Yeah. Oh, so Draphonophilus was here again and stole the tooth. And my uh, little daughters at the time said they were, they were so angry, they were going to kill her when they got her. They were going to pull her wings off and they oh were just God. raging with her. But we had this uh, Draphonophilus story going on for ages and then she had a brother and Draco and, you know, she just went around robbing horses' teeth and anyone's teeth she could get stick them into her mouth it's a great name Draphonophilus Draphonophilus yeah like desperation that. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that one right <laughs> uh, okay number 37 do you have that one by chance uh, no I don't okay 37 question is what are your thoughts on James Blunt who's James Blunt ah there you go do you know that guy so he sings that song do you remember that song You're Beautiful Oh yeah, you're beautiful. Yeah, guy. He's um, I was trying to think why that question is there, and I always had like fantasized that someone was going to come in and say they didn't know who James Blunt was. Yeah, it hasn't come up tons of times. So this is this is actually good. So he yeah he sang that song anyway, but he is a he's an interesting guy. He was in the army, the the British army. He was like a tank commander, quite high up. I yeah. Think. Uh, and now on Twitter, he's like a, a Twitter. Uh, it's probably an exaggeration on a Twitter legend but he gets a lot of abuse just because of the nature of his music and uh, people aren't fans of it it's kind of divisive yeah. I suppose even though that's like that's got to be one of the most famous songs of the last 15 years or something mm. but anyway uh, but he's very good at like dealing with the abuse that yeah. he gets uh, so like one of the most recent tweets I can remember was you know like people kind of started to demonise the year 2016 because of how many celebrities passed away and mm. you know people that um talented people that people really love yeah. but like so he would have a tweet like hey you thought 2016 was bad 2017 is going to be worse I'm releasing a new album you know this oh, kind of right, stuff okay. good for him yeah I was trying to work out like why that was there and I think like there was something to do with the fact that he doesn't take himself very seriously yeah, yeah. which is just an interesting mm. quality to kind of see played out over the internet because like people are so like ready to like 
I don't know, just attack. Mm. Do you have a relationship with social media? Or no, no, I deliberately don't. I'm, I'm very afraid of it, actually. And I find it very aggressive and intrusive. And uh, I'm just not sure what it's for. I mean, obviously, I use email and I go on YouTube now and again. I watch movies online, stuff like that. But in terms of Twitter or Facebook or any of that, I just I'm really dubious about it. Mm. Um. I don't know, I think, yeah, when you were saying people on the attack and uh, I, I was at a, a a talk over the weekend down in Gorey, you know, 1798, they have a festival down there commemorating it and the conversation was on, um, you know, culture in the era of social media and how that has, uh, you know, shifted our notions of what culture is and how it's affecting our ideas of culture and culture changing and how relevant how relevant it all is. So there were lots of different, um, there were lots of different sides. One of the arguments uh, was, though, and it was how how aggressive and and reductive a lot of this social media is, mm. and the whole idea that you're anonymous and so it, you know that you you don't behave uh, as you would if people if you're with someone face to face and they knew your name that your, you know, your natural manners would probably come into play or just natural courtesy or decency because if you look someone in the eye, mm-hmm. you realise yeah, they're not that different from you and, yeah. you know, treat people as you like to be treated, etc. But there's something about the internet, it releases this kind of thing in us. Mm. You know, that other side, that dark thing that's in, in us all as well. The idea that you're not accountable and that uh, you get away with things. So mm. it's, very, it's quite transgressive, I think. Yeah. Or it has that ability to be transgressive. I think, but you're so right. I think it is that thing of not being able to look someone in the eye. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this with a friend because um, one of my really close friends, and we had an argument, and it wasn't a big thing, but uh, and it was a thing that happened that we didn't get to address, and then it started to be discussed over text, yeah. and it escalated very quickly mm. to a point where it was a big deal, yeah. and the minute we sat down to talk about it, straight away, that was just yeah. okay, because we yeah. were looking, and I was like, oh, you're you... And yeah. you know that I'm me, and yeah. that like we love each other, and that this isn't yeah. this this is an easy thing to sort out. But yeah. it's amazing when you can't see that, and you you nearly you, it's distance yeah. and uh, the idea that you can say anything, um, mm. and also the you know the is it Instagram or Snapchat, whatever it is. Cause maybe checking my kids on so show me that oh no, it's gone, it's gone, and it's like well, but where is it gone? Yeah, you know, sure, where the hell is it gone? You yeah. know, do they, the Mormons have it in? <laughs> is it all Joseph somewhere? Smith, yeah, yeah, wherever. You know, it has to go somewhere. Yeah, um, and you know, it's, it's the temporary temporary nature of of the thing and the 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 idea. But I mean, you know, these. A lot of these kids are young. And been, I mean, there've been terrible tragedies around all this social media stuff, and they're very susceptible at that age. Mm. And and not just kids. I mean, we all get upset. Um, I suppose it's a, a measure of I don't know maturity or how how one handles one's disappointment or upset or anger or rage or whatever. Mm. Um, but it seems I, I think that that it, it it's a, it allows. Uh, a veil between you and and how you would treat someone yeah. if they were there in front of you. And there is like um, it was only when you were talking there. There there can be the I don't I don't think it's the opposite, but a parallel of where like people if they are feeling upset that they nearly go to the internet for I don't yeah. know is validation the right word, but certainly mm. like because you know if you don't know how familiar you are with like Facebook for example, you put up a Facebook status which is like a, a, a type sentence and then that's yeah. liked. 
and it's this mm. weird thing that if someone likes it yeah like it could be it could be validation affirmation it is and like little endorphins you know yeah it's amazing to see it is I mean you forget as well how lonely people can be at times Mm -hmm. Um, and you know how do people deal with isolation and loneliness before I suppose they sang they told stories and you know, they came, they went went around, the, right. you know, from house to house yeah, with their fiddles yeah. or they're just their chat and they made their tea or they brought their bottle of whiskey or they, you know, whatever they did. And they sang, they told stories. So in a way you could say it, it's, it, it is replacing that for for the next generation. But it, it's, um, you know, you'll often see groups of kids and, the you know, they're hanging out and they're on a play date, but they're all on some appliance mm. they're sitting beside each other not talking and they're all typing away madly yeah. and they could be just playing animal jam with each other but th- instead of like talking to each other they're both sitting side by side and both on their laptops playing animal jam yeah do you know and I just find that really strange it is strange yeah and I, I feel like it's going it's, but I, then we're then that makes me feel really old you know they say oh you're just not with it because my son tells me uh, Facebook's for old people I mean, I'm not even on it. So what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's, like he's 17, so they don't use Facebook. That's really? for all. Yeah, and they oh. and there's this, they laugh at old people, like anyone over 30, I suppose. <laughs> it's really <laughs> ancient. But <laughs> certainly if you're over 40, certainly if you're over 50 and you're on Facebook, you are just a laughing stock. Yeah. And it's embarrassed to be, it's embarrassing that anyone over... It's like, it is one of the things, if you're on your deathbed, it's 100% not something you're ever going to remember. It's something yeah. that happened on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Yet I spend and me amongst a lot of my generation spend a lot of our lives on yeah. the internet. But I mean, in another way, you could say it's just like what television was for people in the seventies. You know. Yeah. You come home, you have your dinner, and you watch television. You go to bed at eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't watch television. It's because it's addictive. Because mm-hmm. once you start, you're just flicking all night, and suddenly it's two in the morning, and you you can't remember one thing you've seen. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, totally. And I mean, Facebook or the internet is like that. Yeah. Um, I suppose the internet has more choice, though. And uh, it's more the internet. So you can watch your movie or you can listen to your music. Or, you know. And what's interesting, though, is like if the internet, if you watch your movie on the internet, then the internet wants to know what you like. It's nearly like the, it wants something from you in return. Yeah. So if you watch something on Netflix, what did you think? Four stars? Three yeah. stars? Five stars? Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or if you're, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like it, with, with television, it was like the contract was simple, like yeah, you, you switch it license. on and you watch it. <laughs> yeah. and there's then, no choice. Yeah, there's no choice. And then like and then I suppose even with radio it was like that. And then it got to the thing where like, oh well now you call in, we wanna interact mm. with you, we wanna mm. you text us, let us know what you think. And now it's like the internet is the next step again. Yeah. Again, it, yeah, it, it's fascinating. And now I suppose it's nearly turned the other way. Like Snapchat, it's nearly like you are on your own little telly, you know? Mm. You can put yourself on your own little telly yeah. for all your friends. Yeah. Every day. We know where you are. It was mad. My friends are flying to San Francisco and you, you literally could see the little plane. <laughs> it's mad. Crazy. Isn't it? Crazy. But there you go. Brave new world stuff. You know? I know. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Right. Well, look, at we're playing a quaint, quaint game of bingo. We are. It's very slow. Oh, isn't it? yeah, I'm I never going to get to ask <laughs> you the question. Yeah, I know. You see, that's that's my tactic. No, you're just uh, too good at chatting. I just <laughs> too interested in what you have to say. So it's really it's your fault, really, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, number 47. Do you have that one? No, I'm 46, but sure that's no good. It's no good. 47, question. Um, happy or sad, tell us about a moment in your life that you'll never forget. Oh, my God. I'm not good on big. They are big questions. Yeah, yeah they are big questions. Happy or sad. 
Well, I've so many of, of both. Um, mm. I suppose uh, I have four children and, you know, when they were born, each of them, they were incredible moments. Mm. Um, so much so that you try and disguise it because you're, you know, you're in the hospital and it's all antiseptic and, yes. you know, they're trying to clean you up and you know, it's just another baby for them. And, you know, it's like, and you're, oh, my God, you know, and this and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to act all cool and, you know, this is normal. I do this like every day and, and it's, you know, it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're trying not to show too much emotion because it feels out of place in this antiseptic thing and they're just at work and they're trying to get to their golf or their cocktails or whatever and you know they're trying to get you sorted and your husband's wandering around with the baby and uh, you know uh, but but incredible moments looking at each of them for the first time of course they're incredibly powerful moments Mm. Um, yeah and uh, you know you realise that's what you're here for actually you Mm. know you Mm. think you're here for other stuff but nature has a way or life has a way of, of living itself through you and for you, does a lot of it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were incredible moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. When, when, at like a super early age, or like in like those moments, like in comparison to like a baby boy is born, a baby girl is born, could you tell the difference like in their little, little personalities from those first few seconds moments? No, not at all. Well, I just assumed all babies were boys. <laughs> I don't, maybe I'm complete. <laughs> what would you call it? Uh, what's the opposite of misogynist? <laughs> no, see, uh, not the. I don't know what I'm saying now. I just, I, I just thought, I just thought I was going to have sons. So each time, yeah. so when uh, so I had two boys first, um, and then my first daughter was born and I just assumed all oh, the times right there's, oh, there's another boy and even then when I was pregnant for the fourth time I said oh yeah this has to be a boy yeah. and it was a girl and of course I was thrilled there were two little girls there's like two of each what more could you ask for mm. but uh, there's something I don't know why that was but I spoke to a few women about that and they say yeah they they have that as well that all babies are boys um, in terms of when they when they arrive uh it's astonishing actually the minute they're there they are so there mm. and it's just impossible from, from the first second you clap eyes on them um, it's impossible to imagine them not being there mm. they're just so, they're so quickly a part of you um, and I mean it's different for all women but for me um, that was they, that was the crucial moment you see them for the first time you mm. look at them Um it's it's quite miraculous. It's quite extraordinary. Um, it's one of the great mysteries. You know, we talk it down all the time, and uh, hospitals, as good as they are, and you know, they're they're fantastic people and they're worked to death, and there's you know, there's fantastic care for for women and all of that. But it is an institution, mm. you know, and so they're born in the institution. So yeah. you kind of have to behave yourself. So it's a bit like you want to go crazy you know yeah, you know in celebration you want to cry you want to laugh you want to do everything and you're just lying there you know oh yeah 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 you look grand you know <laughs> welcome or whatever you know and it's like you can't you can't wait to get back to the bed so you can you know get a good hold of them and just look at them and yeah. all of that and uh yeah no it's quite it's quite extraordinary they're incredible um they're incredible it's amazing when you were talking about a few things occurred to me but like just of the it was only when you were talking about that feeling you articulated it really beautifully but like then 
when you think about the mothers who had their babies taken from them? Oh, it's just beyond imagining the grief of that. It really is. Absolutely horrific. It was only when you, I don't know, whatever way you were speaking about it, it was just very like um, tangible or something. Yeah. That, like that feeling, yeah. which I wouldn't, I have no idea and probably never will just. By well, hopefully you won't. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. even just the joy of like yeah. having given birth to someone and then having that little person little yeah person yeah away. I mean it's just horrific it, it's it's beyond uh, yeah I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of tragedy in this country you know there's a lot of darkness uh, that's still um, you know it's in our souls it's in the ground it's it's around us um, and and a lot of people have suffered unnecessarily you know just through cruelty and neglect and I suppose they uh, you know the was the you know most people aren't naturally very cruel i think given given society the way it's organized but you know the it's more i suppose by the the sins of omission or or just turning away and and saying nothing mm-hmm. that's probably these are probably the cruelties we're all guilty of in a way mm-hmm. you know when you could uh, maybe have do- done something or said something and, and chose not to because we're all naturally quite conservative and don't like stepping out and, and speaking up. We find that difficult. And maybe that's our colonial history and et cetera, et cetera. But I think um, racially we probably carry a lot of grief and a lot of, a lot of anger and a lot of guilt that it's, that's still working its way through and learning how to how to treat each other well you know not always trying to be the upper you know the top dog and not always trying to look for precedence and trying to be better than the next person you know trying to see see each other for what we are I mean we're all in this together you know it's so close and it's so fleeting and it's so quick mm. um, and it's nearly over Uh so you wonder why, why, what is this impulse in, in the, in our makeup that wants to make it difficult for each other or wants people to suffer or want to do, you know, commit acts of cruelty or atrocities, you know, you look at what's happening in the world um, you wonder what, what is that dark matter in us? Yeah. <laughs> what is that bit of the soul? That is is certainly there. It's potentially there in all of us. Um, uh, and why why it's there? And you know, you have to wonder. You know what the the pattern or what great ideas the universe may have. You know that are not revealed to us. And we feel you know sometimes you just feel like you're a pawn, mm-hmm. and you're just playing out the part. You know that is assigned to you and that you know you've no free will and that you're just here and it's all destiny whatever and then there are times you feel oh well actually I do have a bit of volition here and I I could do this and I could do that but in terms of uh, I suppose the history of humanity where we've come from and where we're going it's uh, it's quite mysterious mm. and it's quite tortured yeah. history is just you know I'm, I'm fascinated by history and biography and all that kind of stuff do you think that the world we're talking about what's going on now and like historically what has gone on now feels like a particularly crazy time in so many ways I know there's obvious examples of like 
things that we didn't think were going to happen, for example, Brexit or like Donald Trump, which I know mm. is so obvious and so in the mainstream media, and then ISIS and things and extremism in any way. But do you think the world is going in a encouraging way? Um, I don't know. Yeats spoke about the gyres, you know, so, you know, it's not it's kind of spiraling. So it's spiraled, spiraling up and down and. I don't know. Other people would be better if informed than me to speak about these things. But I do think there are certain energies at play in the world um, that we don't understand. Uh, and, you know, a, a certain kind of zeitgeist um, or at certain moments, uh, these forces coalesce or clash or whatever. And that um, I think it's very difficult for us to understand but then in retrospect you look and you see oh well, that was all, all that was always going to happen mm. um, I think atrocities probably have always happened uh, going back to your social media we've just never been more informed yeah. of and the, there's such a you know this was pornography around war I suppose you know mm. these this constant onslaught of uh, images and you wonder what is this obsession with war zones and how how these war zones are portrayed and there's always a goodie and there's always a baddie um, but you could just you could change the captions and it could be you know just move the locations and you know so what I mean is that um, you know centuries change e- epochs change uh, human nature is, seems to be evolving very slowly it seems to be one step forward and ten back mm. um, and that we haven't uh, we haven't learned to live with each other yet. Mm. Really, is what is this? Really, we're not ready for the Christian message. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a great, it's a great religion if we were ready for it. You know, love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. Do good to those that hate you. You know, yeah. turn the other cheek, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, all wonderful things, but uh, you don't see a whole lot of evidence. You know, we're we're quite selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's put everyone to sleep. No, I don't (laughs) think so. so. That puts you to sleep, you'd have interesting dreams. You know? (laughs) With your epochs and and all this. Right. First spin. See what happens. Okay. Number 57. I have 57. Do you? Yeah. You're doing quite well. Got two out of six so yeah, far. Yeah, let's see. We'll do a little time check. Right, fifteen minutes left. Okay. Okay, let's see. See what was fifty-seven? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fifty-seven. If you could give twelve-year-old you advice, what would you say? Oh, be brave. Oh, I like that. That's good. <laughs> be braver. <laughs> um, my God, what would you say? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, be brave. Yeah. Don't be afraid to suffer a bit. Uh, I don't know who I've who I, who said it. I remember reading somewhere and someone saying, you know, probably the worst thing you could wish for your children is that they don't suffer. Mm. Um, and of course, no parent wants their child to suffer, but uh, it seems you know making the mistakes, suffering a bit, is what makes you gives you character and grows you grows your soul or grows whoever you are your strength or your identity whatever all these things that make us up or that are in our makeup um 
Yeah, be brave. Mm. And be braver is what I'd say. Mm. Tennessee Williams said, make voyages, attempt things. There's nothing else. Mm. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Do you think that um, you mentioned like that? Yeah, a, a dangerous thing to wish for a child would be not to, to avoid suffering because mm. it, it forms um, your character. Do you think that suffering is intrinsically important to an artist's life and voice? I don't know if it's intrinsically important. I think it's important to uh, one's journey through through on the earth. Um, or maybe I'm just particularly old fashioned. But, uh, you know, until quite recently, people expected to suffer. Mm. You know, people expected to be in pain. Um, people expected to die and die terribly. You know, before penicillin, children died howling. You know, you mm. died of meningitis, they died of scarlet fever, they died of this, that and the other. Everyone died before penicillin. You died of TB and... Adults, everyone suffered. They suffered terribly, um, and the I suppose it's a very Irish thing as well. You know, the world is hard. The, you know, it's hard, and you know, life is a veil of tears, and your reward will be in paradise. You know, and faith. And you think of, I've just started reading this book, East West, about uh, uh, this city in the U- Ukraine, and this lawyer who goes back, and uh, he's 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 talking about the Nuremberg trials but he's also talking about it's connected with his family his grandparents and his mother was born there and gone back to this city but he talks about um, and he goes around to several cities, goes to Vienna and some provincial cities and what was Galicia in a part which is now Ukraine and he's in Paris and he talks about arriving in these cities and seeing all the different houses of worship you know, whether they're synagogues or Catholic churches or Presbyterian or mosques or whatever they are. And the whole idea of how cities were shaped around these places of worship, you know, these places of congregation to worship God. And God was on everyone's lips. Same like in Renaissance time, you know. Um, the same in my childhood, actually. You, know, you began your day with a prayer and you ended your day with a prayer. And you're always saying the rosary. And we're always doing the stations of the cross. And we were always, you know, going to novenas and was unheard of not to go to mass on Sunday and like all of that has changed mm. but I suppose what I'm saying is that they, they that, that was there for a reason because um, the nation was suffering most people were suffering in one way or another mm-hmm. through poverty or just you know wh- whatever it was you know just loss or just hardship or just trying to get by or immigration or you know separations of family or all the things that can happen to you when you're mortal, basically. Mm-hmm. But the, to have that and that cities were organised around, the day was organised around offering it up to whoever you offered it up to, but the idea of something greater than yourself, which gave you a yardstick and which gave you a kind of perspective and gave you something to measure yourself off. And it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me a lot of the time, and I'm talking about myself here, that uh, and, and people I know, whatever, the some people I know um, and some who haven't that a lot of us have lost that yardstick that sense of measuring oneself and, and it's not just a spiritual thing it's also around excellence excellence of craft and excellence in what you do and <clears throat> how high the bar is set and it seems to me as a nation we have a long way to go in 
where our bar, where we're setting the bar. Mm. And you have wonderful people, of course, on the ground and they have these great ideas. Um, but it's trying to get these ideas through to the highest level so they become policy or whatever. And so our philosophy of who we are and who we want to be might shift a little. Mm. Um, and traditionally, uh, societies have always looked to their artists as to kind of talk to them about things like this. Um, and that that seems that seems to have fallen away in 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 my lifetime. Um, and the the uh, belief, well, well, there are all kinds of beliefs, but um, the way the church was structured in the country, that seems to be falling away as well. Um, it's not a given now that anyone goes to mass on Sunday. It's mm-hmm. uh, all of that. And, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it would be pretty much you went somewhere on a Sunday to worship. Um, so you wonder, oh, that's, that's all fine and dandy. But if you if you're not looking... If you're not looking to anything higher outside of yourself in terms of faith or belief, or you're not looking to art and culture and literature, um, where are you looking? Mm. So I think there's a huge void um, in uh, where we're looking to measure ourselves mm. against. What, what are we measuring ourselves against? Yeah. You know, it's it, it's a big question. Um, and I think we... W- until we find that, I, I think we're going to be a bit stuck. Mm. And it was interesting when you spoke about, you know, growing up, and it was the same with me, like you, you know, when you woke up, you'd say a prayer, and when you went to bed, you'd say mm. a prayer. Do you ever find yourself saying prayers? Or oh, like yeah, I was praying last night in the bed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, and, you know, we're all busy and all that, you forget it, but it's something... It's a very comforting thing, I think, mm. to pray, and it's very... Uh, of course, usually I'm praying out of completely selfish reasons or out of fear or out of panic or, or whatever, <laughs> which is what we do. But um, but last night I was like, actually, you know, I'm just going to say a prayer and just, you know, be grateful for a change and just say thank you. <laughs> for You got me this far, so thank you. You got us all this far and everyone's grand. Yeah. Touch wood, thank yeah. God. Um, and I think uh, maybe we don't, you know, we're so busy and we're we want so many things it's human nature to always want the next thing the minute you've got something that's not good enough you want the next thing we're always overreaching ourselves which I suppose the fantastic thing about it is it's got us out of the caves and all of that but um, sometimes I think we need to just pause and think and say well yeah you know mm. a bit of gratitude yeah it is, a go- it is a good little yeah. way to give gratitude yeah you know yeah just stop the voices you know yeah. What do they call the monkey voices in the head? Just stop them. Mm-hmm. That just chatter, chatter, whisper. And it's harder and harder, I think, to get that silence and that peace. Mm. Peace. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you in peace after one more question. We have time for one more. Is that <laughs> I all right? I don't get to ask you. <laughs> well, it's, it's you know, unless you manage to, in some miraculous four. four in one. Okay. If you do that, fair play to you. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, well, two came out, so that's okay. well, that's not a bad start. Um, right, I'll give you the choice. Two balls came out. Would you like 20 or 33? Uh, 33. Okay. Question 33. Uh, oh, where are we? Um, yeah, how do you feel about the phrase, everything happens for a reason? Mm. I'm not sure about that. Mm. Everything happens for a reason. 
Is that my phone? Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, well, I think it'd take wiser people than me to, you know, have an opinion on that. No, I think they're, no, given the world, because I think bad things happen to good people sometimes, and that's not reason. When you think suffering of children, that's not a good reason. I don't care. You can't justify that in the long term through your karma or your whatever, you know, I don't, no. Everything does not happen. Well, yeah, maybe everything happens for a reason, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. There may not be good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the, it's the big question, isn't it? It goes back to free will versus destiny. Mm. What do you believe? Do you believe in a bit of each? Um, do you believe there are forces bigger than you that are ruling you? Mm-hmm. Um or do you believe that man and woman and child are the measure of all things? Mm-hmm. This was Oedipus's great downfall. You know, man is the measure of all things, not the gods. Mm-hmm. And the gods looked down and said, oh, really? Well, let's have a look at that, shall yeah. we? <laughs> let's see if man is the measure of all things, Mr. Oedipus, for yourself now. <laughs> and, uh, and a savage lesson in man or woman or child not being very far from being the measure of all things. So I think that that question, does everything happen for a reason, is very closely connected to that big question around um, divine and human and free will and destiny and forces that shape our lives. Mm. So that's a bit convoluted, but it's the best I can do. It's a strangely nice place to leave it. well, first of all, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. It was a real pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Should nobody else be listening to me? Well, <laughs> I'm telling you, you're going to go viral now. I can't wait to go viral. I'll send you an email on your old computer. You will, sir. Yeah, do. From yeah. the old folks use email. Yeah. Your 17-year-old will see in Facebook and he'll be like, ma'am, that was so five no, years ago. he doesn't Facebook is retro. He doesn't use Facebook. It's for old fogies. Well, thanks a million, Marina. Thank you, Tom. So guys, that was Marina Carr playing personality bingo with Tom Moore and a massive thank you to Marina for taking the time to do it. It was an absolute dream to have a playwright of her quality on the podcast and uh, here's to many, many more wonderful guests just like that. Guys, thank you so much for all your support. I haven't said this in a while but if you haven't already, please rate, comment and subscribe on our iTunes rating. That makes a huge difference. Uh, Give us them five stars if you like us. Uh, If you don't like us... Also, a massive thank you to Tara Kelleher, the wonderful boss woman who edits, mixes, and kind of keeps this podcast going. She's absolutely amazing, but don't be too thankful to her because she's also in Paris at the moment. So, you know, we got to keep her working. Also, a huge thank you to Connor Nolan for his amazing artwork, to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for the wonderful theme music. Check them out at More Than Machines Music. And also a huge thank you to the Headstuff Podcast Network. Check it out at headstuff.org. And a massive thank you to Paddy, to Sean, to Alan, to all the wonderful people who uh, make the podcast possible. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm currently recording this in a cubicle in Cineworld on Parnell Street because... You know, guerrilla podcasting is a thing. Guys, come check us out next week when Garrod Farrelly plays Personality Bingo with Tom Moran.